0: Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Pray. Eric Scopel is with me as always and we waited and we waited to do this podcast because we had a plan for what we were going to do and we had to change it up. Before we dive into the podcast, I want to remind you guys that you can subscribe today for $1. $1 for your first month, 9.95 thereafter that or you could subscribe for an annual membership $75.18 one-time payment. But it comes out to being just $6.26 per month. So you save a big chunk of change compared to the monthly rate. But got good good pricing options for both people. Uh, someone who wants to go in for a whole year. Someone who wants to go in for a month. You both get the inside scoop on the Oregon Ducks. Expert analysis and opinion. Read all the content across the 24-7 Sports Network. And football camp will be opening up here in the next couple of days. And in about a month's time, the Oregon Duck football program We'll be looking to repeat as Pac-12 champions, and you can read it all on duckterritory.com. If you don't want to subscribe, if, if, if money's tight right now, there's still other ways that you can support the podcast, and uh, the most impactful way outside of subscribing is by uh, giving us a five-star review, four-star review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever you use to listen to this show. Give us a review, and also make sure to subscribe for free. Uh, to the RSS feed of this show to make sure you get it sent directly to your iPad, uh, your iPhone, your Android, your tablet, what have you, your computer, wherever you listen to this show. So Eric, we were going to we save this Friday episode and talk about the Oregon 2020 football schedule 3.0. It's crazy. There was, there's going to be three different versions now of this 2020 football schedule. We would save this show. We were going to break it all down. Uh, We decided that earlier in the week. It's now Friday at 11 o'clock a.m. Pacific time, October 2nd, and we still don't have a schedule. Uh, It's sounding like the the league is actually doing something kind of smart where they're going to break it down, uh, released through some college football preview shows Saturday morning, get some exposure, but it would at least be beneficial for the league to come forward and say, hey, you know, a couple days in advance, tune in to the big noon kickoff on Fox or tune into ESPN's College Game Day as we break down live the college football schedule for the Pac twelve. Uh but nonetheless, that hasn't happened. The schedule hasn't <laughs> been released. But we know football's coming. We know football is starting in Eugene in about less than a week's time now when fall camp opens up. And there's some guys that we're really excited to watch play out as they as they push for uh, starting spots.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've been, if you have not been a duck territory the last couple of days, I guess shame on you. Check it out. We've got so much good content <laughs> previewing the season, uh, but a lot of the stuff has been looking at position battles. I've posted, uh, you know, some of the tough, the, the tough, tightest position battles in the team. I've done duck chart previews I, this week. And what we're talking about today's show are players who could have breakout seasons on both offense and defense. Um, I got lists of 10 up on DuckTerritory.com, so once you finish this podcast, or pause the podcast and go read and educate yourself before we jump into this, but um, I think a lot of fun content, it's it's my favorite part of the job, honestly, is this kind of stuff is where we're previewing a season, we're leading up to it, we're getting to learn all of these different things, we we see kind of how these position battles are going to play out, and, and it's going to be really fun seeing some of that take place materially here in the coming weeks when we actually start having practice, we could talk to coaches and players about kind of how things are looking out. So I'm really excited about this. And this is just kind of one of those fun uh, discussions we get to now have now that we know if there is a football season scheduled and it's not that far away.
0: All right. Let's we're starting. We, we say offense first.
1: Let's do offense first. Makes sense.
0: So who is your, I'll let you kick this off.
1: All right now. And I'll say, uh, uh, we're picking two each here, and I have a list, a list of 10 on the site, so there are definitely more candidates than these, but uh, two that I'm going with are the two that I feel probably most strongly on my list are going to follow through and have breakout seasons. And The first is Stephen Jones, um, and to me, this was almost a no-brainer pick of, boy, he is going to be a starting tackle on offense, whether that's left tackle or right tackle is something that's going to be determined during fall camp in the next couple of weeks here um he would have already been somebody high on this sort of a list even if penne sewell had not gone pro or or opted out i think he was going to be a name to know for sure at right tackle again we've mentioned his name a number of times in the podcast you probably are pretty pretty aware of him and, and kind of what he can become um a potential top tier nfl draft pick and his own own right a massive body a player who when he's been on the field has been really impressive but for the last couple of seasons he's been behind a group of five to six players that were just sort of cemented in stone on the depth chart i think we should note really really good work from oregon to be able to redshirt a player like stephen jones in 2019 save a year of eligibility we're talking about him as a redshirt sophomore right now as opposed to being a true junior um and again, I don't know, he might be a player that is gonna leave before he finishes his window anyway, so it wouldn't have mattered. But either way, I think really good work from Oregon's uh perspective of 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 maximizing his time in Eugene. And now it's gonna be fun to see him in a starting role this year, whether that's at left or right tackle again, we don't know. But certainly expect to hear Stephen Jones name a lot and possibly I will argue at this point, I think my pick for the most talented offensive lineman on the team.
0: I, I look at this this one and think I think he's going to be basically a breakout star because of the position that he plays, but that doesn't remove any kind of the excitement that's going to be around him for me. And that's Tyler Shuck.
1: Um,
0: You and me are, are are one and the same when it comes to um, saying, we think Tyler Shuck is going to be the starting quarterback. And we both think he's actually going to be really good too. And I I think this is going to be exciting to play out because his, at least from his on-field persona, is a little bit different than than Justin Herbert's. Herbert was always, like, the calm, cool, collected. Uh, we really didn't see Herbert, like, just really uh, – I- I'm going to use the word swag, but really, you know, <laughs> show any of that until yeah. uh, the Rose Bowl game um, when he had a couple touchdown runs. I should say three touchdown runs, um, and – on the opposite side of the spectrum and the little amount of playing time we've seen from Tyler Shuck, he's quite the opposite. I mean, I go, I keep going back to the USC game and thinking yep. uh, when he you know, blocked that, that Trojan defender and decleted him. Um, I, I just go back and think this is going to be a guy that's going to be a little bit different than Herbert, big arm, uh, mobile athlete, a guy that's got a ton of attention on him, a ton of praise heaped on him with limited experience. And I, I think he's going to be good, but I think there's also a part of me that's, you know, like, I'm excited to see how good he could be really become.
1: It's funny you mentioned that play, because I I actually went the last couple nights, and I've been rewatching some of the YouTube has some great 10 to 12 minute reviews of the games. And that was, I think, the last play on the the entire clip was, it was a Darian Felix outside run to the left and Tyler Shucks out there. And there's one guy in, in Felix's way. And at this point, the game doesn't really matter. But. Chuck just lays the guy on his butt. I mean, he depletes him, like you said. And the, the, the sideline whole goes, bench
0: goes crazy. I was
1: going to say the sideline go absolutely bonkers, as you would expect for a backup quarterback in a spot like that to throw a block. So, um, you know, and, and again, I don't want to analyze what we think can happen here, but you think about in the past where we've seen quarterbacks just not be ready for this kind of a moment. I mean, I don't, again, I don't want to harp too much on Bra- Braxton Burmeister, who we should know looked okay for Virginia Tech this past weekend. Um, but he just mentally I don't think was ready for this moment Shuck has had it a couple of years to get ready and I also just think like we're saying here he's wired a little bit differently um, and so I'm, I'm that was an add-on to Matt's pick I'm not picking Tyler for one of my two because it'd be fun to discuss other players it's a good pick from Matt there uh, my second choice is Devin Williams wide receiver and another player I know we've mentioned before in the past but Oregon is going to need to find some players on the outside to really help Tyler Shuck out. And I think you feel really good about what we've seen so far um, in past seasons from Johnny Johnson. Obviously, he elevated himself. We saw Micah Pittman, when he was healthy last year, look, look the part. And unfortunately, that, him being healthy was about 50% of the games. He was two significant injuries. Um, but even in that, we got to see how much he was able to, to battle to play and kind of that resolve. And then, of course, we know what we've seen from Jalen Redd. Um, they need to find other weapons on the outside. And Devin Williams is undoubtedly the most qualified from a, we'll just say a talent perspective. If you look at where he was rated as a prep recruit, I believe he's the most highly regarded of anybody on the roster from that regard. I know he didn't do a ton at USC. And then from a physical perspective, you know, he's six foot five, 200 plus pounds on the outside. He's that big body wide receiver. I know Brian Addison and he are both similarly built. I think Williams is a little bit more thick, uh, especially in the upper upper part of his body. Um, so I just think there's a huge opportunity there for Devin Williams at wide receiver because, like we said, Jawan John Johnson is gone. They need to find, I think, a big body similar to that. And to me, Devin Williams makes a ton of sense. We, he looked great in the spring in what was, again, limited opportunity. And, and why say great? when We should acknowledge we didn't get to watch them scrimmage. We watched them basically run I don't know, five to 10 reps a day of 11 on 11. And in those reps and at least how he was competing with Oregon's really highly regarded defensive backs, he stood out. So um, he, for me, is definitely one to keep an eye out, especially at that skill position, especially at wide receiver where I know they bring almost everybody back, but I still think we need to see a step forward. From some of these guys, and to me, Williams is the pick of who's going to make that big jump. I could I could see him being a guy who is close to the team's lead in uh, yards and in touchdowns. I don't know about receptions, because I think he's going to be a little bit more big play, but certainly a name to know at wide receiver.
0: I'm going to cheat on my second selection here.
1: Okay.
0: I'm going to pick a position, because quite honestly, like I could see this going three different ways. Um, and that's the tight end spot. I, I'm sure. just excited to see... Who kind of rises up a little bit and kind of assumes the go to position here? Is that Cam McCormick, uh, a guy where there's a ton of um, potential in Cam? He's just never been able to stay healthy, but now he is healthy, you know, and you knock on wood going into the year. And what's he gonna look like? Uh, And and will we be able to see that, that potential materialize into on field production? Um, certainly been a a ton of discussion about Spencer Webb and how good he could do. And I remember going back to week one last year against Auburn when he had that touchdown catch, which was just viral. And then he – He had a couple other catches, and I think, you know, week one, everyone was on board. Oh, Spencer Webb's going to be this guy that's going to catch 40 balls, and he's probably going to have 600 yards receiving and close to 10 touchdowns and be a freshman All-American. And then it just never really kind of panned out for him. And then there's um, Patrick Herbert, redshirted last season, a guy that, you know, going into the the season, there was a a lot of talk of this might be Oregon's best long-term solution at the tight end position. He's now a year bigger, faster, stronger. has had a year in the system. What does he look like? Um, does a Hunter Cantmore, a senior uh, who has been limited in, in what he has done in his career, kind of, you know, positioned more as a, as a blocking tight end, not necessarily a, res- a threat in the receiving game. Does he change his game a little bit to become a more do- two-way threat at the tight end position? What about a DJ Johnson, um, a guy that that's just – oozing with potential and you know moved from defensive end to tight end position uh and is, is in, in the process of you know maybe a year in the system now, and you know he played in thirteen games for the ducks and is is he going to be able to, to, to be more settled in and then honestly like eric there there's also you know oh this guy's a, guy a walk on, but <laughs> Tyler nanny uh he played at pleasanton high school or Pleasanton, California Armador Valley high School, but you and I have have, have Seen this guy at practice and look, I don't know what he's, you know, how, how realistic it is for him to see the field this year. But if you're looking at a, at a guy from a physical aspect of, of what a tight end should look like, it might be Tyler nanny. I mean, he's humongous. He's like six foot eight and like 250, 260 pounds. And honestly, he, he looks a lot like a body type of, of what Gronk looks like. And I don't want to throw that type of
1: expectation (laughs)
0: production standpoint on him, but that's from a physical standpoint, that's what Tyler Nanny looks like. And so I think Oregon has a, a ton of options at the tight end spot. And I'm just excited to see how this plays out and, and who kind of emerges as, you know, the go-to guy at the position.
1: I, I, anybody who follows the team or really closely knows, love that the I, I, I love the walk-ons. And so of course I'm aware of Tyler Nanny and I agree. I, I don't know if he factors into this like he might be the team's fifth best tight end but like you right. said at least from a physical perspective like it's like okay this guy at least fits and you see a variety of those body types at practice and he's certainly one of the ones where you you, you don't if you don't recognize the number you look it up and you go oh he's a walk-on and you go okay that's that's a little different because some of the walk-ons body types are different here all right matt yeah, i you typical
0: tight end walk-ons <laughs> like six 215 and nanny yeah. is like going on six foot eight 250 pounds
1: I allowed you to cheat by p- picking a position group. Do you, can I ask just if, if you have a hunch between the seven guys we just ran through or six guys <laughs> we just ran through, do you have a hunch of who it's going to be? Well, um, because well, say I, think,
0: more. I, I think it's going to be Webb. Um I hope it's McCormick. Cause that would be a good feel good story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to side with history and at least think maybe McCormick plays all seven games, but I think this year is going to be, kind of a kick off the rust type of season for cam and look i hope he proves me wrong i I hope uh he goes out there and balls out and wins the job and because it would be a true you know a true hollywood type story of a guy that came in as a four-star recruit and had to redshirt his freshman year because of an injury during his senior year in high school and then as a redshirt freshman uh he played in all 13 games for the ducks and you know, looked like he was going to be poised in 2017 to be a guy that was going to have some kind of a role down the, the line, and then stole a starting job from Jacob Breland in 2018 in the first game of the year, gets hurt and is basically knocked out for two seasons uh, because of that injury. So I mean, I hope he's, I hope he he wins this job. Uh, we're not supposed to be you know biased and root anything, but I think this is a human story uh, more so of a sports story, and it would just be pretty cool to see Cam win, but. Uh, I I think I'm going to side with a go with someone that's proven he can play the entire year and hope that Cam McCormick, you know, proves you wrong type of a deal.
1: I I should note, I've done a breakout offensive 10 player list for, for the last four years. And this is four years running. Cam McCormick has been on my list. So uh, Cam, I'm, I'm also in the come through, let's get it. Let's, let's have a strong season. And like you said, for a lot of good reasons, you just feel for somebody who's, again, gone under the knife like he has. At some point, he has to have some on-field you know, production. So, again, I, again, we're not rooting for him over other players, but he's certainly a player from a human element where it is easy to kind of side with this season and hope, knock on wood, he's healthy and can have a, at least a strong season, even if it's not as a starter.
0: Okay, now let's, let's – I want to change this up real quick. I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Okay. There's one guy out there on this team in your eyes. It, it, it could be – I want you to give me a name. Who's a person at the end of this year we're going to be saying, wow, this guy is going to be in a position to have a huge breakout year in 2021? Who's the guy that we're not talking about right now? He's not going to become a starter. He's not going to become you know, this guy that has uh, consistently impressive games every single week. But he's going to be that guy at the end of the year saying, okay, yeah, he had some really good steps in, at, in 2020, and now going into 2021, I think he's going to become a star.
1: Can I pick offense or defense here? Offense. Offense only? Ooh, okay, because I had a couple of defensive guys in mind.
0: We'll uh, save that for the second half.
1: Cool. All right, uh, from an offensive perspective, give me Patrick Herbert. I'll stick at the tight ends. I'm, I'm going to say I, I kind of side with you in that there, 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 to me there's at least a three-player hierarchy at tight end from my perspective going into this, and that's Spencer Webb, Hunter Campmario, just because he was the most experienced last year, and then Cam McCormick. With that said, I don't believe it's absurd to think that the highest upside player of those three is Patrick Herbert, and I'm not going to be stunned at all over the course of a, again, it's a condensed season, but over that time, at least, if we see him make some strides, and you know, I say there's a three-player hierarchy ahead of him, I don't know by how much. I mean, I think in the spring, it was kind of like it was anyone's job, in my perspective, and that included Patrick Herbert. I just think you have some reservations, given the fact that the others have at least had some experience on the field where they've at least shown, I know McCormick's been a couple of years, but that they're capable contributors. We haven't seen that from Patrick Herbert yet, but I think he's going to have an opportunity to play this year. Um, and I think work himself into a spot here where by the end of the season, you can at least start being like, maybe he's going to be the tight end of the future. And again, I don't know exactly what we're going to see out of this tight end position group. Um, Hunter Myers is a, a senior. Um, Cam McCormick's like what a, uh, quadruple senior like he's, he's like a super super sophomore um so there, the, some of these players are older and in theory are kind of on their way out of the program I think a player like Patrick Herbert has a chance over the course of this season um to really turn some heads and position himself like you're saying and suggested to be somebody that going into the 2021 season has a great chance to be kind of that breakout player then I don't know if it's going to be at the start of the season but I do think you're going to start seeing his name creep up more and more and more over the course of the the six to seven weeks
0: I'm gonna to go to another redshirt freshman, and that's Sean Dollars at the running back spot. I think it's pretty obvious okay. that CJ Verdell, Travis Dye, and Cyrus Tavilakio are kind of the three-headed monster at running back for Oregon, and they're obviously going to get a, a, a bulk of the carries. I mean, last season in a in a what was a 14 game schedule, Verdell rushed for 197 yards. Die went for 106. Cyrus ran for 85 and then Herbert, ironically, and factor in some sacks. He had 58 carries, uh, Darian Felix on was fifth on the team with 34. He's no longer on the team. Sean dollars was sixth, so the fifth, you know, the running back five in terms of carries with seven carries 81 yards didn't score a touchdown. Uh, he had nine. He, he actually started the game I believe in the Rose bowl because of, uh, Jalen Red's unavailability for that one. I, I just look at dollars and think this is going to be a year in which Oregon knows what they have at running back, but there's also going to be possibly some opportunities to maybe get dollars just a little bit of, of some carries. Maybe it's one game, maybe it's two games. Uh, and, and he racks up maybe 25, 30, 40 carries this year. And the idea though is, is maybe Verdell's gone after this season. Uh, maybe Travis Dye, see you know graduate he's going to graduate he's already graduated maybe travis die has a huge junior year and goes pro i don't know um and they need to figure out what they have behind verdell die and cyrus and i think this is going to be a year in which sean dollars and in-, in a limited capacity maybe it's a quarter maybe it's a series and a couple games but i think he's going to have some moments where people are gonna go okay yeah th- that might be the future at running back in a couple years
1: I like that pick. And just one thought here that I was thinking of, I, I did include dollars in my breakout candidate list. Um, and the thing that's hard with him is just trying to figure out, and you mentioned it, where's, where are his carries coming from? You know, typically, and we looked at last season, he had all seven of his carries in the Montana and not Nevada games, those kind of mop-up duty games, right. Oregon wins by a bunch. There aren't, in theory, and again, we don't know the schedule yet. We said at the top of the show. There aren't, in theory, that many of those kind of games on the schedule. You look at the Pac-12 North, like, you could argue that maybe Oregon State, and maybe Washington state become kind of those kind of games, but I'm not convinced that Washington state's going to be a rollover game. And I'm frankly not convinced based upon last year's close to the season that Oregon state is going to be either. So I think what Matt said is true where they might have to figure out a way to incorporate a Sean dollars. It, maybe it's a series every game before the game gets out of hand or just utilizing on the field as a second running back. Maybe we'll see some of that. I know that was something we talked about in the past, but haven't materialized a ton of where they run multiple running backs um, in the same formation. So um, I'm curious to see where the opportunity comes from, but I think that's a really strong pick in terms of, like, they will need to at some point figure out who that next running back is after C.J. Verdell. I think a lot of people expect it to be Sean Dollars, but we just haven't really had an opportunity to see it yet.
0: Now, also consider that there are no non-conference games being played in the Pac-12. There are very few non-conference games across the country that are being played, and the ones that are actually being played – they're not of any significance for the most part. There really isn't any, you know, marquee games out there of, not, of a non-conference variety. And so when you're looking at teams that for the college football playoff and what the college football playoff committee is going to do, it's all going to be the eye test. And I would 100% believe we're going to see teams not lay off the gas. And if they have an opportunity to put up 60 points – they're going to put up 60 points. If they have an opportunity to put up 70 points, they're going to put up 70 points. They may pull their starters, uh, but I don't think we'll see vanilla offenses if if the scenarios call for it just because basically every touchdown matters. And maybe that's how Oregon gets some opportunities for a guy like Dollars or for a guy like Herbert uh, at tight end where – maybe they they go into a game uh against Washington State, and we're just gonna, let's just assume Oregon going into the fourth quarter is winning this game forty two to to fourteen going into the fourth quarter and they they're ready to pull their starters and instead of just running the ball nice and easy, maybe they're a little aggressive with their with their play calling and and continuing to really you know attack the verticals downfield and push the ball downfield and push it you know to the edge of the field and, and use the running backs and aggressive play calling ways to, to get guys uh stats and to, to try and score to, to improve their you know their, their eye test
1: i think these are great points and definitely a thing i'm excited to kind of see how that plays out this season i think it could be right there matt
0: Let's take a quick break, and uh, we've got a list now for the defensive side of the football as well. Coming up next here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. All right, welcome back to the Auds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Paray, Scopel with me, and we're talking kind of breakout candidates on the football field for the 2020 season. We recapped. Uh, the offensive side of the football. Now let's let's go defense.
1: A lot of good candidates on defense here. Um, and, and and I guess I should start by saying the, the number of candidates is far greater than I expected it to be now with three opt-outs. Yes. And, and that's going to play into this. But the first one has no bearing on anyone that's opted out, and that's Justin Flo. Um, if you're listening to this <laughs> podcast, you know who this is. Uh, four, five-star recruit, one of the best recruits Oregon's ever signed. Oregon has an open spot at inside linebacker from Troy Dye's departure. Um, You think about how much Troy Dye has meant over the course of those four years, led the team to tackle every year. I think, believe that's the only player in school history who can say that. Um, pretty close to being the school's all-time leader in tackles, despite there being seasons in the past where guys had like 200 tackles in one season. So it was hard to compete with that. And it's kind of like when you're looking at the, the all-time rebounding list and you're reminded in like the 1960s, guys averaged like 17 rebounds a game, like pretty regularly. Um, same kind of thing there. Um, but Justin Flow is a different sort of talent and I am not going to say there's not going to be a drop off at inside linebacker because I don't want to create those sort of expectations even though they're probably already there. But I'm fully expecting this to be Justin Flow's job and I know he's going to have to beat out a returner like a Samson new he's going to have to beat out. Um, a player like Noah Sewell, another five-star incoming freshman. But my pick is that he's going to be that player, and I think he'll start the season with the first team at inside linebacker. I'm expecting that. I know Kavon didn't even do that last year. He was behind Gus Cumberlander until Cumberlander uh, blew his knee out. But uh, I'm expecting Flo to just be good right away and be somebody that you go, yeah, this is the difference between a five-star recruit, these elite, elite talent guys, and even those top 100, top 50 linebackers, because Oregon has a number of those guys on the roster, and I'm expecting Flo just to look and feel a little bit different than those guys. So I'm not surprising anybody with this pick, but I, I similar to what we saw last year with Kayvon, where he comes in with just worlds of hype and expectation, Justin Flo is going to come in with that sort of stuff, and I think he's going to live up to it just like we saw Kayvon do, although I'm expecting it for the entirety of the season. I don't know if there's going to be – I'm not saying he's going to start out being like the best linebacker in the country – but I'm expecting we're going to see similar to what we saw with Troy Dye, where he right away is like, okay, this kid is different and ready to play.
0: I'm staying with the same position because I agree with you about Flo. I think he's going to be a star. Um, I, though, am going to pick his starting counterpart, not because he hasn't been good in the past, but because he's been overshadowed by Troy Dye, and I think he's going to be overshadowed um, from a fan perspective and probably from a media perspective as well because of the five-star recruits that are going to be next to him. But that's junior inside linebacker Isaac Slade. Ma Uh, we just call him Isaac Slade. Uh, fifth on the team in tackles with 62. Uh, he was tied for the team last year with passes defended at, with 10. Very good in pass coverage for an inside linebacker. Uh, he was fourth on the team. And tackles for loss at six and a half. He had one and a half tack. He had one and a half sacks for the Ducks last season. Uh, Troy Dye himself proclaimed that he will be the next superstar linebacker at Oregon. Uh, now that he, Troy Dye is is no longer with the team, uh, he graduated and is off into the NFL. I I think Isaac Slade is going to be someone where we gushed a lot last few years about Troy Dye. We're gushing a ton about. Uh, Justin Flo and also Noah Sewell. Obviously, you know, those guys are are immensely talented, probably more physically blessed than Isaac Slade is uh, right now. But Isaac has proven it. And he is a guy that just quite honestly hasn't, I don't think, gotten the recognition that he probably deserves for the production that he's produced just because of the guys that have been around him. And I, th- I think this is going to be the year where so much focus is going to be on those other guys the younger players, he's going to be the old savvy vet and rises up and everyone's going to go, wait, I thought it was Flo and I thought it was Sewell that we're going to be starting in the middle. Isaac Slade Jr., oh, he's a starter last year? Holy smokes, didn't even know he was on the team. Now he's a potential, you know, all Pac-12 first-team player.
1: I love that pick and and I think you're spot on in terms of the perception and I know this happens with these recruits is that they arrive on campus and they're immediately the best player at their position group and I expect that Justin Flo might have, like you said, more attention nationally. Noah Sewell certainly I think probably does but I think Isaac Slade, like you said, is, is certainly capable of taking his game to another level. Um, and, to kick, kick, and, and again, even if he is as similar to player as what he was last year, that's pretty darn good. I mean, yeah. like you said, I, I think you go back. And I, like I said, I've been watching the highlight packages. You go back and, and watch those throughout the season. And you're probably surprised by how many times you're hearing his name called in just big moments of, oh, wow. He was the one who made that play behind the line of scrimmage. Oh, wow. Like you said, he, he was the one who broke up that pass on third down in coverage or and again, you could probably argue that a linebacker having that many pass deflections says he maybe needs to work on on the jug drill this year and work on catching some football. But um, he, he is certainly super active in all aspects of the game. And again, I think an under regarded player and underrated player. If you probably if you had a underrated category on the team, he deserves to be one of the guys mentioned because there isn't as much buzz around him. And that's probably from his perspective, at least the way he's, we've seen him take care of business, probably fine. I don't think he's going to object much to having the spotlight placed on another linebacker like you saw last year with Dye. And now he's seeing with these two freshmen. All right. My second and last pick on defense here is one that is impacted by the opt outs. Um, and I'm going to go with DJ James. I look at DJ James and think this is a player who at best this year was pushing to be on the two deep, right? We all felt really good that it was Thomas Graham, DeAndre and then Mikael Wright in that conversations to be one of those starting corners, DJ James. And and we should also note like Dante Manning and TriQuest Bridges were players that we said, okay, they're kind of depth pieces. They can push and battle to be on the two deep. And then the next year in 2021, whoever's the best of that group probably joins Mikael Wright as a starting corner in 2021 after Graham and, and Lenore graduated. Well, that whole clock just got expedited, right? We just jumped ahead of season, basically, with the other two guys moving out. And now James has a ton of opportunity. Um, and we should note, he looked good last year when he played. I think – I know he was beat for a touchdown um, in replacement of Lenore in the second half against Washington, but he also made a lot of big plays in that game, too. Um, in terms of past deflections and, and making tackles in space. So I look at him as somebody, and I know Marco Cristobal, when he was asked about that position group and all the guys they're losing, he named DJ James by name. I found that to be significant. I also think just from watching him last year, he looked like somebody that was very much capable and, and didn't look out of sorts when he was out there. So now you've got another year of experience under his belt, more opportunity. And, I, again, I expect when they open up here practice in a couple of weeks that – when they, when they run with the first team, D.J. James is going to be at cornerback um, across from Michael Wright, unless we see some of these players that have opted out opt back in. Um, I think the expectation right now has to be that D.J. James is going to be a big part of this defense.
0: My next selection is a guy that was going to be starting on this defense going into the 2019 season, but an injury. And I, I, one of the last few practices before Auburn, knocked him out for the entire year and I think really opened the door for Mace Funa to slide right in and kind of have the year that he did playing in all 14 games, starting one, uh, being a pro football focused all, you know, Pac-12 third team. But I, I think we're going to really see why uh, Oregon was so high on this guy in 2020 now. And that's Adrian Jackson, a sophomore outside linebacker from Denver, Colorado, former four-star recruit, played in 12 games for the Ducks as a true freshman in 2018. He had two starts in that one, finished with 13 tackles, 10 being solo. Uh, he had one tackle in each of the final seven games of, of that year. And I, I really think Adrian Jackson's going to be a guy where he's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle. and. Injuries, that typically happens. And I think there's a lot of options I could have picked in the secondary. You picked a great one in uh, DJ James, You know, probably a guy that could be in a position to start this season maybe a, one year earlier than expected, but will do br- very well, I think, uh, like you said, at, at the cornerback spot. But I, I go back to Adrian Jackson, and I think this is a guy that was going to start before an injury happened. And I look at him and think there he's he does a little bit – he does some things differently than any other linebacker on that outside linebacker spot. I think he's got a physical, you know, skill set that's unique. Uh, and he's in a position, he's healthy. Now he's going to be more than healthy because he's going to have ample time to have recovered more than a year since his injury happened. Uh, it, it'll be almost like 14 week, months when he hits the field for his first game since his injury. So he should be back a hundred percent physically. Um, I just think Adrian Jackson, this defense, knowing what he, he could do is going to be pretty pretty darn good in 2020.
1: For the injury, fastest linebacker on the team. I don't know if it was that close. I mean, this is the kind of athlete he is, and I, I, I'm with Matt. I think he was on my list of breakout candidates, and I certainly think he's going to be one that that follows through with it. Super dynamic athlete. I'm, I'm very intrigued to see what role he plays on this defense.
0: Now, let's go back to – that question I posed about the offense. Who's someone at the end of the year we're going to be sitting here saying, you know what, going into 2020, this guy's going to be a star?
1: Well, because I actually was prepared for this prompt, I put a little bit more thought into this one. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, I'm going to go with TriQuest Bridges. Um, I I think this cornerback position group, and we've talked about the depth issues they've had, they're going to need some of these guys to step up. Um, They only carry right now five or six depending upon – how we perceive a couple of these guys who are coming in we're not exactly sure what position they're going to end up. But I think either way, they need some of these depth pieces to work out and play out. And I am thinking that Triquez is not a player that is going to start at corner this season. Um, I'm guessing he is with the two deep as a second team guy throughout most of this season. But as you know, at corner injuries can happen. These guys play a ton of snaps. They will need some sort of break. I think Triquez is somebody with his size and athleticism, and now it's going to be a full, close to a full year working at corner after being a prep uh, superstar at safety. The all, I think, I believe the all-time Alabama state leader in interceptions. Um, I look at Triquez and think maybe he's not a star player in 2020, and maybe he doesn't even have – a ton of big plays until the end of the season, but he's gonna be out there and he's gonna be given an opportunity. And it's my expectation he'll take make the most of it and that we'll be looking now at 2021 going, okay, Mikhail Wright is at one of the corner spots. And man, it's a crap shoot at the other because DJ James looked good last year, Dante Mann looked good last year. And hey, don't forget about Triquez Bridges because Oregon now has four really highly regarded corners. And then some of these recruits from 2021 come in as well, Jalen Davies, Jadarius Perkins and Darren Barkins. So you're looking at, I think, a a corner room in 2020, which on paper has lost his two best players or two of its best players. Certainly needs some depth to step forward. I think it does. And I think in 2021, you're looking at it with a completely different perspective because I think everybody's going to take a step forward and there's going to be enough pieces in 2021 where once again, it's one of the better units in the Pac-12.
0: I'm not sure how he's going to play a ton. In 2020, because look at the defensive line. I think yeah. we, we talk about opt-outs on defense, and they haven't been impacted one bit, and they are just as loaded, if not more, with fewer positions than the secondary. Kayvon Thibodeau is obviously back. Jordan Scott's back. Austin Folio's back. But then you've also got a guy in Popo Amave who showed us he was more than capable of being the nose tackle for Pac-12 you know, championship-caliber team. Brandon Dorlis is a sophomore this year. He showed as a true freshman that he was certainly capable of being a starter-level guy for Oregon. He played in 10 games. Um, Christian Williams, he played in three. Can where Hudson, he played in three games. Um, I I look at Oregon and think their defensive line is pretty stacked, and they've only got really about three positions. So I don't really know how he's going to find the football field a ton, but I think when he does play a little bit, Jason jones four star defensive tackle from uh, Clara, Alabama, part of the 2020 recruiting class, six foot six three hundred he he was three hundred and forty pounds when he signed, but he's already trimmed that down some considerably. Um, Alabama kind of passed on him because they had some concerns about just how quickly he could get himself into shape and you know before he arrived he he'd, he'd done some pretty impressive things in terms of getting himself healthy. He suffered an injury, I think, his junior year, or whatever it was, and uh, he's gotten himself healthy. He's gotten himself into an impressive shape. I think Jason Jones is going to be that guy where it's any other year, he may, he may not be a starter for Oregon, but you looked at him and said, you know what, just from his sheer size and his, his sheer skill set, we don't really care if he's going to be ready or not. He's going to have to play as a true freshman because he's just so much different than anybody else in Oregon's defensive line which has typically happened uh, in previous years. This year, he doesn't have that pressure to, to do that right away. He'll play if he's ready. But I think Jason Jones is going to be a guy, maybe he plays in one game, maybe he plays in one quarter of one game and red shirts the rest of the year. But I think we're going to look at him in, what, in the little bit of snaps that he does get in 2020 and think this is going to be a guy who is potentially going to be a future you know, star player along Oregon's defensive line, probably somewhere at nose tackle or defensive end.
1: He's an interesting one because I I I know there are limited opportunity because you do have your three starters back and it's very clear those three and then you add Popo and probably Dorless. There's got five guys that I think are pretty far ahead of everybody else. But like, there's no reason he can't be the sixth guy and right. be a big part of their rotation. I mean, I, I you mentioned these these players, these redshirt freshmen from last year, who I think we all think are really talented. Well, none of them aside from Dorless you know, played enough not to redshirt. So uh, there's, an, I think, some opportunity there for a Jason Jones. And I, just really quick, it's interesting that we both we, – I think three of the players we mentioned here for possible breakout guys are from the state of Alabama originally. So uh, we talk about the success or lack of success of some of these, um, uh, you know, talent pools for Oregon. Uh, the, the, the recruiting in the state of Alabama, if what Matt and I are saying here works out, kind of tells you – all you need to know about why it's important to make these inroads in the South because these recruits, all three of the ones we mentioned, all had the big boy offers, all picked Oregon. And we think all three have a chance to, if it's not immediately in 2020, by 2021, be guys that are big contributors in this defense.
0: I'm, ec- I'm excited. I, I always like seeing you know, fall camp will be a little bit different this year um, yep. because how much we see is up in the air. Um, but then on top of that, you know, there's going to be, few, be fewer games, but I'm always intrigued going into a year of just who are going to be the guys that at the end of the year, we're going to be talking highly about, you know, Pittman was one we were hoping we would talk about. We ended up doing that. Um, we talked a lot about Johnny Johnson. We talked a lot about CJ Verdell. We talked a lot about Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, we, we talked a lot about Mace Funa. Um, there's going to be guys that are, are going to pop up on this roster, throughout the 2020 football season that were on our list and quite frankly weren't on anyone's list and kind of elevated their games to become marquee names on this football team. And it's going to be fun tracking that. Uh, let us know who you think could, could make this list. If we miss anybody, uh, if, if we're wrong or if we're right, make sure to give us a review on the podcast as well. You can do that for free on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, google podcast spotify whatever platform you use and if you want to really support the podcast in the most impactful way that can be subscribing to DuckTerritory.com for one dollar for your first month or you can go an annual route and and save a huge chunk of change over the course of the year for doing that so for eric scopel myself matt Preem, you've been listening to the odds and audibles podcast
1: talk to you later folks